Well, Tom's on holidays, so you get me for announcements and the sermon. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, thank you again for being with us this morning. We're starting a brand new series today, and it's called Kingdom Stories. And we're going to explore a particular set of stories that um, Jesus told in the book of Matthew. So as I'm getting ready for this series, I've been reading a book that Tom recommended to me. You know, Tom reads so fast, and he's and he loves every book, so he's always giving me books that he recommends. I have an entire shelf in my office that is called Books That Tom Thinks You Should Read, and it just keeps stacking up. So anyway, I started reading this book. It's called Talk Like Ted, and he's talked about it before. It's a book about why TED Talks are so great, like why they're working and what makes the best and most effective presentation. And there's an entire section of the book that's dedicated to the art of storytelling. And apparently that is supposed to be the key to good presentations is stories. And I have been a pastor here for just, you know, 18 or 19 months. And, and from my experience, that seems true because I want to let you know that not very many people come and find me after a sermon or weeks later and say, gosh, I just loved that concept that you explained to us. Or I really appreciated the, the exposition of scripture. They don't really remember that, but they do come and say to me all the time, wow, when you told that story about like Christmas when you were seven, or being in elementary school, or that story about your grandfather, that really hit home with me. That's what people remember. And the researchers in the book say the reason for that is because when you're telling a story, you're making this emotional connection with another person. And they scan people's brains during storytelling, and what they see is that the same area of the brain lights up in the listener as is lit up in the storyteller. And so when you are listening to me tell a story on Sunday morning, your brain is actually syncing up with mine, which is cool, right? That's awesome. All right. That's why stories work. We remember them. They stick with us. And so it shouldn't come as any surprise that Jesus, who was a great teacher, used a lot of stories when he was teaching. And in the Bible, there's a special name for stories. We sometimes call them uh, parables. And that's what this series is about. It's about the stories, the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. Want to hear one? Okay. Well, actually, before I tell it to you, or we're going to watch it, um, I want to try something with you. Because when Jesus tells this story... What's going on is there's such a massive crowd around him that he's kind of getting squished and not everybody can hear. And so he gets in a boat and pushes out from the shore and then he stands up in the boat so that his voice will carry over the water and the whole crowd will be able to hear him. And then when he's in that place, he tells this story and then that's it. He just stops talking. And that always strikes me as a little bit strange, a little bit awkward, right, to just tell a story and then stop. And so I want to see how it feels to you. Okay, so we're going to try this. This is my friend Cole, and she has made a delightful little video that tells us the parable of the sower. So let's watch this together. Hey, listen, you have to hear about this. You see, there's this farmer. He has some seeds. He takes the seeds and sows them out in his fields. That's what farmers do. 
Some of the seed fell on the path, where the ground is packed down, so it just sat on top. A bird came along, ate the seed, and flew away. Some of the seeds fell on the ground with lots of rocks. The seed sprang up, but then the sun came out, dried out the plant, and shriveled up because it had no roots. Some of the seed fell on ground where there were lots of weeds and pricky bushes. The farmer's seeds grew, but the pricky plants did too, and just choked it right out. There's no fruit on that plant. But some of those seeds, and this is the good part, some of those seeds landed in really good soil and grew strong, healthy plants that kept growing and growing like 30, 60, or 100 times what the farmer sowed in the first place. So, do you get it? Do you understand what this means? Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us this morning. I had a really good time with you, and I hope that you can all join us for coffee. way harder to do than I thought. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, I thought I could count all the way to 30, but I only made it to 12. <laughs> okay. What was that like for you? S- seriously, what did it feel like? Or what do you think it would have feel- felt like if you didn't know it was a joke? T- tell me what it felt like while you're sitting there. You can just call it out. Felt weird? Now what? Yeah, that's like, whoa, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, like, it seems like we drove a long way for just that little bit of, okay, yeah, we're waiting for more. Nobody went back for coffee. They seemed to know it wasn't really over. Yeah, okay. Sure, yeah, maybe, especially if you didn't know, like you weren't watching me sit there twiddle my thumbs, you feel a little disappointed, like, wait, that's it? What else are we going to hear? Yeah. I know, Crystal's like, actually, I'd kind of like a coffee. (laughs) Okay, that's good. It's weird, right? It's so strange. And so my guess is that some of you, if that had been real, some of you would have been quite glad, actually, the sermon was very short today, right? So that's good. Some of you would be thinking, Dana lost her marbles. If you're visiting, you might not be coming back because the teaching was not very good here. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of, just like you said, Aaron, like, wait, what? What's going on? Is that it? I don't know. And for some people, it raises these very deep questions, which is what it does for the people who are listening to Jesus. Two questions in particular. First of all, they ask, what is this story about? Right? Like, that's one of the things that comes up. What is this story about? And then the second one is, why on earth are you teaching this way? Why are you teaching that way? And in the Gospel of Matthew, which is it's one of the biographies of Jesus, the, the listeners come and they start with the second question. The people who ask are the disciples, and they're the closest friends and followers of Jesus. So they're with him all the time. They've heard him teach lots of times. And this time, when he's finished, they come and find him, and they, and they ask, um, why do you speak to them in parables? And the delivery, as it turns out, is very intentional. It's not like Jesus just ran out of things to say. He answers them, and it's pretty involved. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll take it apart together. He says, 
To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, and they do not understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand, and you will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and they are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and long to hear what you hear but did not hear it. It's kind of intense, right? It's supposed to be a simple question, and then it's a really big answer. Let's start at the beginning. To you, he says, has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, at that time in history, Jews believed that God was very active among his chosen people, among them, and that his intention was eventually to establish a kingdom of his own among them. So there was going to be this moment where God would break into the world and bring a really clear end to all that we know, and then a new beginning, a new heaven and a new earth. And that would be his kingdom. And it's sometimes called the apocalypse. And when we make movies about the apocalypse, we focus on the ending part, right? And it's kind of scary. We feel a little nervous about that. But really the word apocalypse means revelation or uncovering. And so it's about revealing who God really is and what his kingdom is going to do. And that is a kingdom where everything is set right. There's real justice and care and provision for all the people. There's compassion and generosity. There's healing. There's celebration and worship. There's creativity and really good productive work. There's well-being and love, and God himself is the king with the people. And that is the kingdom that is coming in the future. And all the Jews believed it. They were looking forward to it, but no one thought, no one thought it was happening now. That was a future thing. Couldn't possibly be happening while they were all subject to the rule of Caesar and the Roman Empire. But when Jesus started his ministry as a traveling teacher, he would walk around Galilee proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is near. And John the Baptist, who would go about traveling ahead of Jesus to prepare the way, he would say the same thing. He would say, repent, which means turn around. So turn around, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the the incredible truth is that God's kingdom had started to break into the world, actually enter into history through Jesus. And it wasn't in that final apocalyptic way where everything is taken apart and remade. But it was in this very small, hidden way through an itinerant teacher who spent his days healing people and telling stories. And all his disciples, well, they got it. Right? They had walked away from their former lives. They followed him around. They know he's something special. But everyone else, 
not so much. Why do you speak to them in parables? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And then Jesus goes further. He says, the reason I speak in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. And he is quoting another book. He's quoting a very famous prophet, Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And this is a place where God is describing the state of the people. And they've turned away from him. They've forgotten his laws. They are willfully ignorant of the way that he asked them to live. And God is about to send them into exile. He's about to let another nation come and take them captive so that they will eventually turn and listen to him. But that's, I mean, Isaiah is a whole other story. What's significant here is that when he's quoting it, Jesus is painting a picture of the Jewish people around him being the same as these people in Isaiah. He's saying their hearts have grown dull. Their ears don't hear. They have shut their eyes. They are willfully not seeing the truth about him. Why do you speak to them in parables? Because they don't want to see. They refuse to hear. And so the parables somehow mask what Jesus is saying from people who either can't or won't hear it. And the few who do hear him, the disciples, they come and ask him about it. And Jesus acknowledges that. He says to them, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And then after he explains why he's using parables, he goes back to answer that first question and tell them what the story is about. And on the surface, it's pretty obvious. Like, especially in a farming community, how many of you guys are growing gardens? How many people have a garden? Yeah, everyone, right? So, okay. In a farming community, well, maybe everyone, I don't know. Okay. Um, This is not a very good story. A farmer goes out to scatter seed, and because he's throwing it all over, which, just to be clear, he wasn't lazy, that is the most effective way to sow seed into a wide field at that time, right? There's no tractors, there's no automatic planters, and so what you do is you walk up and down the field and you just broadcast the seed as far as you can. That's how they sowed. So a farmer goes out to sow, and because he's throwing it all over, it lands on all different kinds of soil. And the seed that lands on the road or the path doesn't grow. Well, if you're a gardener at all, you think, well, duh. Of course not. The birds eat it. Yeah, okay. And then the seed that lands on the rocky soil, well, it grows really quick, but then it wilts and dies in the sun. Yes, it does. (laughs) That is what always happens. Okay. And then the seed that lands among the thorns, it grows, but it gets choked out. (laughs) and we're kind of going, of course it does. Of course that's what would happen. And then the seed that lands on the good garden soil grows up and produces fruit. It's barely farming 101. Like he's just listing an extremely basic list of facts about farmers. And literally everyone would know all of this information. So when he's explaining it to his disciples, he tells them what it really means. He says, Hear the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. Remember that part of the story? The birds come down and they eat the seed up. That image is about someone who hears the word about the kingdom, but they don't understand. And remember, it's the kind of not understanding that comes from the prophecy in Isaiah. So it's not like being mean to someone who didn't get it the first time around. Okay, it's this willfully shutting your eyes and closing your ears off. Someone who has closed themselves off and doesn't want to hear. And in that kind of situation, the word just gets snatched away and devoured by the birds. It never takes root at all. Do you know people like this? Do you know people who have already decided not to have anything to do with Jesus? Right? They don't want to hear a word of it. And if you try to share something with them, they either get angry or roll their eyes or walk away. We have a hard time with this type of soil. We have a hard time with it because we really, really, really want the seed to go in, don't we? Oh, my gosh. We try to sneak things into conversations. Maybe they won't notice I'm talking about Jesus. Or we try to, like, leave Christian books under the magazines on their coffee tables. Whatever it is, even though they've insisted they want nothing to do with it, we try to make them listen. Because it feels like there's something wrong with me if that person won't hear me. We need to hear this parable. You need to hear this parable. There is nothing wrong with the sower. And there is nothing wrong with the seed. But if it lands on hard-packed dirt that feels like concrete, that seed is not going to take root. No matter how much time we spend throwing seed at the path, No matter how hard you throw it down on the ground, it is still going to get eaten by birds. So Jesus goes on. He says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. Um, Because I moved, I planted zucchinis kind of late this year. And so I planted these lovely little plants, two of them, and they did okay through most of the week. But then when I got home from work on Thursday, which was the first day it hit 32 degrees, the zucchini plants were just wilted on the ground, just splayed right out, poor little guys. (laughs) So, I mean, I watered them. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, right? Well, maybe they'll bounce back. Um, But that's this soil type. That's what's happening here. The seed goes into shallow ground, a little bit of dirt with a lot of rocks, maybe even bedrock close to the surface. And so it sprouts up quickly, and everything looks really good. It's a person who hears about Jesus for the first time and jumps in with both feet. They love their newfound faith. They love it. And they're really fun people to be around and celebrate with. And we can get sort of carried away and fooled into thinking that everything is perfect and they're an amazing, mature believer. The problem is there isn't any root yet. They haven't learned very much. They aren't very solid. 
not their fault. It's just the way that things go. And so when something happens to test that faith, like someone laughs at them or asks a question that they don't know the answer to or contradicts them or discriminates against them because of their faith, they don't know how to handle that. And so they wither and fall away. I have I've seen this so many times, and it is unbelievably sad. Right? It happens a lot with... Um, with big crusades or big uh, like emotional altar calls at retreats, and please don't get me wrong, people really, lots of people, come to genuine faith in that kind of event. But if there isn't a clear path for discipleship afterwards, somebody to walk with them, to help them grow, to follow up, then their roots will wither. This is the... This is the kid who goes to Christian summer camp and they have an incredible experience of worship, of community, of being loved. And they decide to become a Christian and we celebrate that and we should. But I am telling you that a lot of those kids go back home and fall away from their faith in the first week back to high school. Sometimes you see kids who become Christians every summer at camp and fall away every fall when they get home. And if they're not part of a Christian community, they can come to believe that you can only be Christian at camp. You can only believe when you're in that particular place. It's so sad. It's not because they aren't genuine. It's not because they don't love Jesus. They do. It's because they couldn't handle it on their own. They don't have roots yet. And the tragedy of this soil type is that the experience of springing up and then withering and dying can be so painful that people will walk away for good. And they are unlikely to try again. Because now what they believe about faith is that it's doomed to wither and die eventually. And nobody wants to do that again. Jesus says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. We've all seen little plants struggling for resources for water and light when they're surrounded by huge prickly thistles and weeds. And the plants are alive, right? They might stay alive all season, but they don't fully develop. They don't flower or produce fruit. There's not enough resources for them, and the thorns choke them out. Do you know what kind of person this is? You're not going to like it. This is the kind of person who goes to church regularly, attends Bible studies, serves on teams, and generally seems quite alive. But it never, their faith never quite seems to flourish or bear fruit, right? It's been the same for years. They're not growing. They're not using their gifts. No one else is coming to faith around them. It's just the same. And Jesus doesn't mince words with this. He tells it exactly like it is. The cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word. And so everything that they learn and believe about God gets choked out by the cares of the world. 
power and promotion and safety and vacations and romance and travel and success and reputation and all those things that the world wants us to pay attention to and, of course, money, right? Because God's word tells us to give, but the lure of wealth says we need more for ourselves. And God tells us to trust him, but wealth says we should just have a safety net. And God's word says, leverage your resources for the kingdom. But the lure of wealth says, you really deserve a new car. And the cares of the world and the lure of money grow up right alongside the word of God and choke it out. So that even though it looks alive, even though technically it is alive, our faith doesn't produce anything. And what is tragic about this soil type is that pretty often people don't even know it's happening. They don't know. There are so many Christians who are walking around thinking, I guess this is all there is to life in the kingdom. When in reality, most of that life is being choked out by other things. Finally, Jesus says, but as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the soil type that describes the disciples themselves, right? The one who hears and understands it's a life that is completely transformed by the word of God, where a person's day-to-day living becomes oriented around God's will. It's a life where you see the fruit of generosity, of compassion, of justice, of extending radical hospitality to others, embracing outsiders, helping other people meet Jesus. So this parable about the word of God being thrown out and proclaimed to a a group And as it lands on the ears and the hearts of listeners, it finds itself in four very different types of, like, heart soil. Some that's hard like a path, some that's rocky, some that's thorny, and some that is very good soil. Jesus is telling us that at any given moment, when the word is being proclaimed, when the word is being taught, you will absolutely find among the listeners All four of these soil types. Today in this room, I believe that the message is landing on all four types of soil. And you know what? That is okay with me. That's fine with me. I mean, it was fine with Jesus, right? Do you notice that he is not distraught or angry or upset at all about the fact that the word is going to land on four types of soil? He doesn't tell his disciples how to fix the soil types. There's nothing about that. There's no lesson about how to rototill the path so it can take seed. There's no lesson about how to dig out rocks or pull up thorns. That's not in here at all. He doesn't say anything at all about changing the soil. What does he say? He says, I speak to them in parables. And a few verses later, Matthew, the author, says, Jesus told the crowds, All these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. 
And so when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, which is what we're going to be studying for the next seven weeks, he doesn't ever teach it without a parable. He only offers information about this incredible alternative kingdom breaking into the world. He only offers that information wrapped up and shielded in a very simple story. Why does he do that? Remember when we heard the parable of, we watched the parable of the sower at the beginning, and then I sat down? If that had actually been the end of our teaching, it would have been confusing and uncomfortable. And some of you would have tracked me down to find out what on earth I was doing. <laughs> Most of you would have shrugged and gone home and called it an off week for Dana. When Jesus tells this simple story to the crowd, lots of people, according to the parable, at least 75%, will hear that story and walk away. They just go home. It's fine. All right. You didn't really learn anything, but I guess it was fun. But a few will stay behind to find out what was he talking about. Why, do you, why are you teaching this way? Explain it to us. And he will. The story wraps up, veils the word about the kingdom so that when it goes out, it can only take root in soil that's ready to receive it. Only the ones who ask, only the good soil will find out what he's really saying. This is a parable about the way parables work. I love this. I love this one. It's like my favorite parable. It's so, this very, very simple story that holds profound truth beneath the surface. And parables test the soil in the hearts of the listeners. They're filtering out the good soil, figuring out where it is, and planting the word there. And the seed, that word, my friends, that is the truth of the kingdom of heaven. The truth that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world all around us all around us. And it's not breaking in in this final and powerful, all-consuming way, but it's in the way that a seed takes root in a garden. When it lands in good soil, it grows there. It moves out and it grows up and produces fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold, seed that can itself be scattered out again moving this kingdom and growing. So how do we apply this lesson? Well, first of all, I want to invite you to consider, with no judgment, just, it's just a question, consider what soil type are you today? Every Sunday, or at least some Sundays, you sit here and listen to a message about the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of you, every single day, are spending time in your Bibles learning about the kingdom of heaven. What are you doing with that? What do you notice in yourself about it? Is that word withering under pressure? Is it being choked out by cares and worries about money? Is it rolling away? Do you just forget about it within a few minutes? Or is it flourishing and growing and producing fruit? 
And I want to be really clear. There is no judgment here, right? Wherever it is, that's okay. But just because Jesus doesn't tell the disciples how to fix somebody else's soil type doesn't mean the soil type in you can't change. If you aren't where you'd like to be, what do you want to do about that? Second thing is, As you have the opportunity to interact with people around you to tell people about Jesus, I'd like you to consider, how can I use parables to test the soil? Now, here is my disclaimer or my confession or something this morning. This is my favorite parable. It might be my favorite thing to teach about, but I am so conflicted standing up here and telling you about it because I feel like doing it this way is the exact opposite of what the parable itself teaches. See what I mean? Like Jesus tells us, like Jesus' example is to, is to throw out a story and then wait and see what happens. But what I have to do is stand up here and explain the story piece by piece. That seems very <laughs> uh, contradictory. And I don't know what to do about that. It's an ongoing challenge. I did suggest to Tom that for this series, we literally just tell the story and then go sit down, but it seemed like that would be very weird and uncomfortable, and I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable that often. And so the best I can do is acknowledge that to you and tell you it's an ongoing challenge for me. I'm working it out right along with you. How do I teach in parables? When the stated goal of my job when I'm preaching is to make things clear, How do I follow Jesus' example of using parables to test the soil? Here's another thing I want to say. I know that some of you have been really hurt when you're trying to share about the hope that you found in Jesus with someone else. You've been rejected and dismissed and challenged. People have gotten really mad at you. You've been asked never to talk about that again. And I know that you feel conflicted about that because you know you're supposed to share your faith, and you are, and you know it would be so good for that other person to hear it, and it would. But it didn't seem to work. And so here's part of the answer if we're willing to hear it. We need to figure out how to test the soil. We need to learn to recognize the path and the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And stop jamming our hand in there over and over again. It's no (laughs) wonder we're getting cut up and bruised. We don't garden that way. We don't take our hand and shove it into a rose bush. Well, I did do that a couple of weeks ago. It didn't turn out that well at all. I didn't know roses were so viciously opposed to things. Okay, anyway, we we don't jam seed into rocks and thorns or try to shove it into the sidewalk. All that happens is we get hurt. We don't garden that way. Why are we sharing our faith that way? My friend Ian Elliott is literally the most gifted person I know at helping other people meet Jesus. Um, The most unlikely people, every imaginable kind of person, if they're around Ian, they're going to meet Jesus. And so when I ask Ian about this, you know, tell me what you do. How do you know when they're ready? And he says this, you know, well, he's, Ian's in his 60s, and he always says, you know, kid, like, okay. Anyway, you know, kid, here's the thing. 
The most important thing is that you genuinely like people, that you're interested in them, you build a real friendship, you care about them. And then as you're going about being friends, you're not hiding your face, but you're not shoving it down their throat. And in the course of life, there is going to come a moment, and it always happens when they're ready to hear it. There's a tragedy in the family. There's some kind of softening in them. There's a sudden curiosity. And the heart that was hard toward Jesus is all of a sudden open, good soil. And then because you're friends and because they know that you love them, they ask you and then you share. And Ian says, sometimes it takes way longer than you think. But he said, more often than not, it doesn't take nearly as long as you think and you weren't quite ready for that moment. (laughs) It happens really, really fast. But the point is, your job is to pay attention because it always happens. And you have to be willing to plant the seed as soon as you see the good soil. So that's it, friends. Check our soil type. And we're going to practice using parables to test the soil. And over the next several weeks, as we study the parables that Jesus used to teach about the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to do my best to leave some space for questions, to leave some things unsaid or a little bit unclear. And this is why. Because if you're not ready, I want you to be able to shrug and walk away. That's perfect. But if you are ready, then I'm really excited to see what Jesus wants to show us. And so now, you really are welcome to go for coffee. (laughs) I'm really glad that you're with us. Let me pray for you before you go. Father, would would you make our hearts ready to receive? Would you make us good soil? Would you give us the insight today to know how things are going in us and to offer that up to you? And we pray, I pray that you would, by your spirit, would you send creativity out among us? I pray that you would make us storytellers. Would you make us tellers of parables? Teach us how to be creative as we speak to the people around us, how to intrigue and and awaken curiosity and test the soil to see when it's ready. We offer that to you in submission and hope and joy, and we look forward to seeing what you'll grow in us. We pray all of those things in your name. Amen.